Hello and welcome to the latest Science Sport Podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Tano Dependa. So Tano is an international level powerlifter and a strength and conditioning coach of international athletes. That means he's the perfect person today to discuss how you can learn from powerlifting and apply those lessons to any sport. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Tano onto the show. So Tano, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, thank you very much for joining us. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I work as an SSC coach at uh, Team NL. Um, I primarily work with the uh, top sports track cycling team, as well as with some of the talent development programs involving both BMX uh, as well as track cycling. Uh, my own background, I've been active in powerlifting for quite a quite a long time, about 16 years, which is half over my lifespan. Um, basically, I'm a, I've been competitive internationally for over six, seven years. Um, currently, still the, the national champion within my weight class within the Netherlands. Um, so that's a little bit of my, uh, my strength-related SNC background. Um, I did my studies at Maastricht University, so I studied uh, human movement sciences and um, since the past year I've basically started to get into my role here at Team NL. Um, next to that I also work for a online coaching company called Reformance um, within which we primarily focus on coaching uh, both the strength aspect as well as the nutrition side of things um, for international athletes as well. Yeah. Awesome and uh, how are you ranked internationally at the moment for, uh, for powerlifting? Um, so the last world championships uh, were in South Africa, so I ranked number eight uh, there. Um, That's pretty good at lifting weights, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a hobby that I quite enjoyed, and uh, it just kept on going from there. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of snowboarded if you're eighth best in the world, so uh, that's uh, that's really interesting. I think um, I want I want to touch on some of that powerlifting stuff today, but it's it's a great combination between doing something yourself to an international level and then coaching other people who are also working at an international level. So before we get into the the transfer of those two things, can you take us through what powerlifting is? Sure, sure thing. Um, So basically powerlifting exists in three different disciplines, right? So we have the back squat, we have the deadlift, uh, we have the bench press. um, And within the competition, we basically get three attempts um, in front of a jury to try and lift as much weight as possible. So within the sport of powerlifting, we have very strict ruling on what is and what isn't a correct lift. Um, so there's three judges that either give you a white or a red light based on um, how they judge your lift. So you need at least two white lights to get a good attempt. So the tricky part especially gets when uh, you enter the the the, the the end of the competition when you need to start get into um, more of the technical side of things, right? So you start looking at the board, you start looking at the rankings, everyone's put up a subtotal, so they did their squats, they did their bench press, um, and now it's about placements. Now it's about what can you put in your total, and that's when especially the coaching side of things gets very interesting, and you need to start thinking more about calculating and um, seeing how you can strategically place yourself uh, within the within the competition um, so that summarizes i think what uh, what powerlifting uh, would entail yeah 
I think it's, it's interesting the strategy behind it as well, right? I figured that it was just kind of lifting heavy stuff. Like that's <laughs> you, you lift it up, you put it back down, you do as much as possible or as heavy as possible, even, and then you win or don't. Um, but there is there is tactics to it as well. For sure. I mean, as an athlete, you try and focus just on lifting whatever is put on the bar, I guess. Um, different people, uh, yeah, they, they like to approach competitions in different ways. But I think especially if you're also involved in coaching, it's it gets quite strategic as well, um, especially just implementing the rules in the in a correct way and trying to use those to your advantage. It's uh, it becomes a challenge, and also, I mean, I guess that's usually what happens in uh, in top performance sports, right? It's trying to push the boundaries of uh, of what's possible and legal within those boundaries. <laughs> I think it's, uh, that's really interesting. And when we look at like physiology, because obviously you've, you've mm-hmm. done a lot of, of research yourself into physiology, you're, you're well studied on that. What does a powerlifter need to perform at the top level? Sure. Um, I think there's been quite an interesting trend, um, especially the past few years, whereas the typical image of what a powerlifter would be would be basically a very strong couch potato, meaning not necessarily having the best of body composition, um, but being just frequently strong. Um, it's shifting more towards a image in which you more and more start to see people that are also from a physical development perspective getting way more athletic. Um, and I think that's very well presented in social media, um, which are all probably also the more popular accounts within, uh, within powerlifting. Um, but from a physiological perspective, I mean, it's about maximal strength. Um, but the way in which you develop that maximal strength is very, very different per, for, uh, the way that you approach your training, right? And I mean, I think there are very different ways of building maximal strength. Um, so I guess that goes a little bit more into the, the periodization of things. Yeah. And obviously we'll, we'll hit the periodization in a second. So what, what does, sure. um, what do you mean by those the differences in, in how you train for strength? Like if you, mm-hmm. if you talk generally about max strength training, it's, it's maybe above, <laughs> 80 to 85 percent and then that's max strength and you're good so yeah. how how does that then differ sure i mean first of all you look at the individual and you try and identify what needs the most work so if it's from a physical development perspective maybe you don't have the muscle mass to actually push it towards the highest level so maybe that should be your main focus so if you look at how your training is built and set up probably more of your time is focused on trying to improve those components, those characteristics that you need to improve to get to a higher level. Um, so it becomes a little bit of a individualized puzzle. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a weight, uh, weight class based sport. Um, so you always work within the limits of those weight classes. So filling up your weight class, um, is one thing, but if you need to also cut down for your weight class to be as competitive as possible, there are very different things that go into it. Um, and I think also the way that you set up your training um, kind of reflects that in a way as well. Um, so often what you'll see is that um, maximal strength is, of course, it's a mixture of physiological development. It's a mixture of uh, neurological adaptation. And it's a mixture of um, your ability to produce force based on the muscle mass that you have. And one of the things I did myself was write a bit of a narrative review on how muscle mass relates to maximal strength. And as we see in powerlifters, that seems to be more and more important as you become a more advanced athlete. 
Um, so I think taking into consideration also just the training age of the athlete um, is very important in determining how you want to approach training. Um, usually, uh, what I personally recommend as well is if you work within a weight class um, and you're competitive within that weight class, it's worth filling out that weight class and trying to cut down to that weight class. Um, however, if you're a beginning athlete, it doesn't make much sense to cut down three, four kilos. You can just try and grow into the next weight class over time. Of course, also depending on stuff such as body composition and things like that. I think that's a really interesting insight. And when you when you go onto that periodization, like what what does that look like for powerlifters toward the competition? Because obviously, depending on what you just mentioned, the the physiology, the training age, that kind of stuff. But like generally speaking, if you're going to work towards a competition, what what does that look like? Sure. Um, I mean, as mentioned earlier, I think there are different ways in periodizing it. However, I think if you look from a general perspective, typically what you see is the further out you are from competition, the less specific you uh, can get with your exercises. Um, I mean, we can get into the debate of what specificity is in itself. Um, some would argue that uh, doing sets of five on a back squat compared to doing sets of one is less specific for, for at least powerlifters, since we go for an absolute one around. Um, However, there's also, of course, exercise variations that you can utilize at different stages to try and reinforce certain movement patterns or try and emphasize um, technical cues that might be um, easier for the lifter to understand through movement instead of active verbal coaching. Um, so those are different ways in which exercise variation might play in more important role the further out you are from competition. Um, but typically what we also then see is perhaps a larger emphasis on average on accumulating more training volume. And as we get closer to competition, we see um, surely that there's tends to be a decrease in overall training volume and intensity tends to increase. So specificity increases, um, training volume goes down a little bit. Um, and especially within the last week, maybe two to three weeks, um, you start tapering off volume even more, trying to, uh, improve readiness as you can basically awesome i think that's uh yeah that's a great way to look at things throughout that that longer period um but i'm also interested in hearing like what, what a week of training looks like for you because yeah i mean when you when you start to break that periodization down it's it's all well and good but like what are you doing so if you next to your work next to all the other stuff you do if you're training to be a, a top powerlifter what, what does that look like so i mean i've been quite experimental in my training lately so uh, i'll just, uh, just 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 get back more to what my typical approach would be as well um so for me um the amount of training or the training volume that i have within a certain session is also dependent on um how well i am able to actually realistically have that amount of volume um, within that session so let's say if I feel like I need a certain amount that is driven by data that I might have collected in the past, um, that I need a certain amount of volume to progress. I tend to um, divide that over a certain frequency, right? And um, when that is no longer practical, meaning if you need to do, I don't know, seven sets of five, there might be a point of diminishing returns that you don't want to go through hell to, to, to get that work done, right? So it's more 
um, at least further out from competition, it's more about, uh, I think, more about training volume, being able to accumulate that um, on a weekly basis than it is about the single session. Of course, there's always a certain intention that you think of when you are performing these microcycles within these uh, within these training weeks. Um, but your, for instance, for me, what I've typically done in the past is one day I would do high repetitions, so it's a form of daily undulated periodization. Then on the second day I would go a little bit into mid range, and one day I would do my heavier work. Um, also, to be a little bit more specific, as I go towards the competition, I like to include some form of squat, bench, and deadlift days, also uh, referred to as SBD days, um, because that's what I need to do in my competition as well, right? So, um, from that perspective, I tend to shift the, the the volume approach that I use from high repetitions to a lower repetition uh, range as I go on. Um, so, for me, typically Monday was about squatting bench pressing, and then doing accessory work that works the muscles that I use within those movements. Then the second day, typically, I would do a form of deadlifting. Um, on higher frequency periods, I would also bench press, um, but I typically tend to stick more towards three bench press sessions per week. Um, then also, I would do some posterior chain work that goes together with the deadlifts. Then usually, Wednesday would be a rest day for me. Then I would have a squat and bench press day again. Also, again, working in accessory work that works on my weaknesses, um, either in movement patterns or in muscle groups. Then a day off, and then either I would have my SPD session or depending on the phase of training, maybe only squatting um, or deadlifting and bench pressing. And that's like, a, yeah, four, four days training a week? I tend to gravitate to, towards that. Um, lately, I've also been trying to fit in like smaller workouts as well, so working more towards hypertrophy sessions just in addition to what I'm already doing. Um, but that tends to be more work that is easy to recover from. Um, so not any primary lifts that I would uh, would perform on those sessions. Yeah, get, getting the guns out as well, that's not unimportant. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, obviously, you've taken us through uh, powerlifting, what that is and, and how that works. Mm -hmm. What do you think that other sports can learn from that? Because obviously there's there's a lot of data, there's a lot of science that backs it up because it's really easy to do, easy to do the science on it because it's all about numbers. So For what sure. do you think that other sports can learn from that? I mean, you make an important point there. Um, you, you say easy to do. Well, I think to, to get back on that, um, I mean, powerlifting in itself and the load management is relatively simplistic, meaning you are able to track your your exercise and performance data very well. I mean, volume, meaning sets times reps times weight, is very easy to uh, keep track of. So, one of the unique perspectives I think you can get from a uh, from a powerlifting background is uh, the ability to control those exercise variables to a very large degree. Um, something that is definitely not possible in team sports. Um, so. Because it is simplistic like that, I think it gives you a deepened understanding of being able to play around with those variables, right? So any changes that you might make, of course, there are always lifestyle factors that might affect whatever outcomes uh, you might have. Um, but I think having a more isolated athlete, having a more isolated sport, so there's no 
additional sprint sessions. There's no like field practice. Uh, um, gives you a little bit of a better idea of cause and effect. So being able to stir up the volume, just just let's increase volume on one day. Let's see what happens. Right, like being able to do those things in a bit of a more experimental setting almost um, shows you how that affects the athletes. And I think um, obviously you need to be able to take into account if you go into the field of SNC to contextualize that. I mean, um, there are a lot more challenges in being able to handle that workload, but it at least gives you a better base perspective to be able to. Um, contextualize it also next to uh, any other exercise modalities you might uh, you might embark on. Yeah. Nice. And uh, any other lessons that you think other sports can uh, can really take from that? Um, for sure. Um, so I think modeling your workload is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to do that in powerlifting in a very simplistic way gives you a way to categorize different exercise modalities and stack those upon each other and being able to um, make smaller tweaks to whatever you're doing to see the effectiveness of your programming go up. Um, I think um, having that basic understanding opens up some doors, uh, if you will, and especially if you're able to um, bring this also to a sports setting. Um, I mean, it comes with many more challenges, as I said earlier, but um, that's also where the fun lies for sure. And for, for an individual athlete then, like what, what can they learn from this? I know you've, uh, yeah, you've got a couple that we, we've uh, written down, but mm-hmm. like, um, what, what do you think that an individual athlete can, can get out of that? Um, so, one of the power, like one of the main things I also see in powerlifting is that the, the, there's a very different type of athlete. Meaning, um, getting into an SNC setting, you're, you're you're put into a group. The group, um, like they might or might not like you. Um, going more towards the world of powerlifting, you have athletes that are very interested in their own development, and they seek out specific coaches that they think suit their needs so that gives a very different working environment so i think what you also see specifically in powerlifting athletes is that personal buy-in and that personal investment in not just gaining the knowledge um but also the 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 practical experience and hours that they've actually put in trying things out and having that understanding of their own training journey is something that other sports could perhaps also learn from. Um, I'm in no way saying that powerlifting athletes are superior um, or whatever. I think um, at least what you see is that there's a very analytical mind that tends to go with that. And I think being able to be analytical about whatever you're trying and being able to perhaps even step away a little bit from maybe what your emotions tell you, but being able to look at the numbers and being able to see uh what a certain way of programming is actually doing for you and then actually rationalizing um, what the reason is that a successful program was successful or it wasn't successful. Um, it's a very interesting way to um, 
I think look at your own training. And I think that's a very valuable thing that can be taken away as well from that. I think that, that ownership, right? Like if you, if you yeah. don't own it, then all of a sudden you're just not going to get the results you want. And I think exactly. in, in other sports, yeah. your, your skill level can kind of compensate. Well, let's say you play football or hockey where you're just super sure. talented. You don't have to run as much because you're clever. And all of a sudden, yeah, you, you can't do that when you're just lifting a bar. Uh, and I say just mm-hmm. lifting a bar, it's, it's more difficult than that. But like, um, there's no, there's no, um, perceptual skills going on. It's like get in the zone, lift the weight, don't die. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like <laughs> that about summarizes it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just just skip the entire podcast. Listen to that bit. No, um, so uh, what about technique as well? Because obviously mm-hmm. you guys you guys have three lifts. You've got to be big on technique. Can can people learn from that too? Absolutely. Um, I mean that's the thing, right? Like we we only have three lifts, and I mean obviously you work very very throughout to to perfect your technique. Um, I think it's a constant process because I think as one thing's better, one other thing starts to relatively weaken out a little bit. So addressing those weak points is always a little bit of the, the way that lifting is maybe approached is trying to see, okay, what am I doing good? How can I identify what I am doing good? Um, and then also being able to try and hold on to those strengths while you also bring up some of your weak points as well, right? Um, so I think that analytical mind kind of uh, comes up and uh, play there as well. So I think actually other sports can definitely get a lot out of um, being able to break down a couple of simple movement patterns. So for us, that's the squat, that's the bench press, that's the deadlift, and just getting very nitpicky, just about small details. Um, and obviously, movement gets a lot more complex when you get on the pitch and you have different sports, um, and especially since uh powerlifting is a bilateral so we use uh both sides of our bodies um at the same time in our movements but it does deepen your understanding i think both on biomechanics um also from a physiological perspective it gives you a good basis and a good rationale of how you can uh, further expand that thinking as well um so i think being able to to pick a couple of movements and really dial in what good technique even is and what it should look like. So things such as uh, movement efficiency, being able to keep your bar path in check, um, what kind of cueing you would be able to use to reinforce those movement patterns, I think are very, very valuable things that could also be derived that I think also in many team sports are not as emphasized, especially because maybe individual attention is much more challenging within group settings than it is in uh, individual coaching tragics that you often see in powerlifting. Um, so I think there's a, a lot of takeaways there, perhaps that uh, could bring some value to coaches, um, to athletes as well, for sure. Absolutely excellent. So Tana, massive thanks for your time and effort today. I really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find some more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, um, so that would either be on Instagram, um, so my own social media channel, which is called 7ann0, which is uh, basically spelled Tano, but with some numbers in there. Um, and I also work with a business called Reformance Training. Um, so you can also look up Reformance Training. We post a lot of informational posts um, and also a lot of content in regards to both powerlifting, but also strength training, exercise, science, and nutrition in general. Um, so that would definitely be the place to go. Absolutely. Excellent. So Tano, massive thanks, and I look forward to seeing you very soon. Much appreciated. Thanks, Matt. Cheers, buddy.
And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Tano for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, if you want to learn more about sports science, then take a look at the Science of Sport Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is an overgrown library of online science courses, which are broken down into bite-sized lessons to fit busy schedules. Every time you complete the course, you'll also get a certificate of completion to prove your ongoing education. So if you're interested in that, be sure to click the link in the show notes to get seven days completely for free into the Coach Academy. And lastly, if you're interested in joining the Science Support team, hit the link in the show notes, which will bring you to our Join the Team page. There are a number of different roles available. So if you're interested in joining this fantastic team, click that link in just a few seconds time. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science Support, and I'll speak to you next week.